In this week's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Joel A. Davis-Brown, author of The Souls of Queer Folk, How Understanding LGBTQ Plus Culture Can Transform Your Leadership Practice. This week, our conversation is about LinkedIn's new commitments tool, Taraji P. Henson's HBCU Mental Health Pilot Program, and more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Let's get started. Joel, will you please tell the world about yourself? Sure. First of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, hi to everyone in the universe who might be listening, watching, or participating. So I'm a long-term uh, organizational development consultant. I've been doing that for 25 years, based in San Francisco and Nairobi at this point, our company. And I'm a professor, an adjunct over in La France. I just got back from France uh, two weeks ago. And I'm also an author. And so uh, recently I published a book called, as you just uh, noted, the Souls of Queer Folk, and that came out in February, and it's equal parts cultural attache, leadership de development, um, call to action, if you will, to help really rebrand and reframe how we look at the queer community, but also how do we leverage queer wisdom to deal with the adaptive challenges that we have in the world and the organizations that we serve and support. So that's who I am, and glad to be here. Thank you. I Your book sounds really fascinating, so I promise I am going to read it. I can't wait to read it. So Talk to me about this wisdom that you're referring to. Is it sort of the wisdom that comes from, you know, generational trauma, like through our community? Talk a little bit about where that or the origin of it. Yeah. So I, I, the wisdom that we possess, I think, is in navigating a society that doesn't really understand us in a society that doesn't really honor us. And so that wisdom, which I think can be dismissed or disregarded as just trauma response is really about how do we affect transformational leadership? Because in order to be a transformational leader, you have to really focus on your being first, recognizing who you are, your purpose, but also understanding your value as a human being and emulating that. And then from there, you're able to lead a team, an organization, a community, and a nation. I think many marginalized communities possess this knowledge. The beautiful thing about our community is that we have the wisdom and the knowledge from a number of different communities, whether it's women, BIPOC communities, uh, people who are from different faith traditions, people who are immigrants, people who are you know, disabled, people who come from all over the world. So that's the beauty of it. But we also have the additional layer that and the, the additional wisdom that we get from non-binary people. And we also get from uh, having kind of the, I don't say the sexualized experience, but having the somatic experience of being very in touch with our bodies and being very much in tune with the wisdom that we get, not just from you know thinking and whatnot, but also from being present with who we are and being present in our bodies as well. And so all of that, I think, has helped us to be 
Unwitting Leaders for the World. And the goal of this book was to help people to start to recognize that not only people outside the community, but if we're also being honest, people within the community as well. I love that. So it's about leveraging the wisdom from all of our marginalized identities and, and cultural backgrounds and lived experiences and uh, how we can be that be a better leader right. through all of that. Yeah, yeah, I love it. If I were to ask people, and I do this all the time, you know, would you change places with a queer person? What do you think you have to gain from a queer person? Now, everybody can look at us and say, yes, you're fun, you're vibrant, you're the life of the party. But very few people want to change positions with us. And very few people I found who are not members of the community think that we have anything to contribute besides being the colorful avatars that we've come to know, the stereotypical notions. And so what I really want us and want society to think about is we do possess a lot of wisdom. And it's not just wisdom in terms of being able to see society as it is, but in terms of how we are adaptive, looking at things from a non-binary perspective, it's the ability to understand what equity really means. I mean, there's so many different components to it. And so as I went through and did my research, this is when I realized we actually are part of the solution. Much like, you know, many of the people who have been in Native American uh, societies. So we look at them as a two-spirit people. Much like the two-spirit people were seen as kind of the spiritual guides, the mentors, the sages for those communities. I think the queer community has the opportunity to be there for the world if not only if we're given the opportunity, but if we take the opportunity to lead and to do so going forward. So that's what I want this book to do is, is kind of a it's an invitation for us to kind of join our own party, but to recognize what we bring and to help others to see what perhaps they've not seen thus far. Yeah. And it sounds like there's an opportunity, you know, kind of a call to action to be more visible as well. And that's actually the what I wrote about this week in, in the newsletter was about visibility. Last week was Lesbian Visibility Day and my yes. partner and I spent it at the Illinois State Capitol building during Illinois Advocacy Day. And uh, one of the conversations that I had that day was with someone who runs an LGBTQ center in Southern Illinois. So three hours from Chicago, but also a relatively short drive from Tennessee, Indiana, Kentucky, and Missouri, places with anti-LGBTQ legislation. And she's seeing a lot of getting a lot of calls from people considering relocating to Illinois with these uh, anti-LGBTQ bills and laws being proposed and passed. And, um, and it, so it's, you know, Illinois is kind of becoming a bit of a sanctuary um, mm. for folks. I would imagine California, for those who can afford it, <laughs> is <laughs> as well. But there is a disparity there in terms of economic ability and the cost of relocation. And what I love about, and, and I do think this connects to your book <laughs> in the sense that there is kind of a... a a call to action, especially among young folks. I would love for this book to get in the hands of young folks who can see that wisdom within and empower themselves to continue to be advocates because these anti-LGBTQ laws are no joke. It's relentless. You know, one of the things I think is really important as a student of history is to recognize that a lot of what we're dealing with is not new. I mean, and I think that's where when I'm talking with people who are younger than me, I'm still considering myself a young person. But when I'm talking with people who are younger than me and people who are just not aware, one of the things I try to impress upon them is that a number of the things that we deal with are not new. A number of the policies, they may be different in form, but not in substance. And so if we can 
combine or blend that youthful energy, that enthusiasm, or not even that youthful energy, that activism spirit, if you will, with the knowledge that we've already come through so much, we've already been able to do so much, we've already been able to overcome so many major obstacles, then it's not that the things that we're dealing with are not daunting, but that we recognize that we do have a prescription, a tool, a remedy for doing the very work that is necessary. That's where I think this book can really be important. And what you said as well about just helping people to be more resilient and also to be uh, more activated. That's what I hope people can take away from any of these conversations, particularly around you know the book is this isn't anything that we need to be afraid of because we've dealt with it before. And actually, if we study our own cultural pathway, there are prescriptions as to how we can move forward. And so I get inspired, for example, when I think about the fact that you know there were balls in Harlem, for example, in the 1880s for people who were queer and non-binary and gender non-conforming who were uh, just trying to live their lives and be themselves. And people took it upon themselves to say, we're going to be activated. We're going to be empowered. We're not going to let people to hold us back. And so if you can have balls numbering in the, with about, I don't know, 5,000, 6,000 attendees in the 1880s in New York at a time when, you know, certainly it was hard for any of us to be who we could be, particularly if you're a BIPOC person, then we can certainly think about strategies that we can adopt now in 2023. Wow. I had no idea. I mean, 1980s, yes. 1880s. (laughs) I had, wow. Learn something new every day. Wow. Well, that's a great answer to what's that. I didn't even ask you my question that I ask everyone, which is what's giving you hope? Because that's clearly what's giving you hope. uh, The lessons from the past. Absolutely. Um, being, and I'm sure you can recognize this, when we think about this from an intersectional lens. Mm-hmm. So being, you know, Black, Indigenous, I grew up in a middle-class family, but also, of course, being queer, our history is was replete with examples of how we've been able to overcome, to be triumphant. And it's not just a matter of survival, it's a matter of how do we thrive. And that is what has given me history. So, for example, we're talking about Lesbian Visibility Week. And A lot of people, for example, think that the same-sex marriage movement began in Massachusetts in 2004. Well, it began in 1971 in my hometown, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with two African-American women who went down to the courthouse and said, we believe that we should be married. You don't know those histories, but the more that we're able to excavate that type of knowledge, we realize, wow, we actually do have a legacy of thriving, and we do have a legacy of recognizing that we do deserve more, and we're not going to take a second you know, class citizenship status as being our birthright. We know that we we deserve more. That's what gives me hope. And so anytime that we can, you know, dig into our histories, talk to other people and affirm each other. And I think this is an opportunity for us to not only embrace our neighbors and our communities, but also to make sure that we give, we support those who are in our community, who are marginalized, are being targeted right now. As I like to say all the time, We are one community, but we're many people. And we have to recognize, too, that the challenges that, let's say, the trans community is facing or that women are facing in our community or that the BIPOC communities are facing are different. And there's an opportunity for us to step up in different ways and to make sure that we're kind of wrapping our arms collectively around everyone within the community and not taking anything for granted. I love that. Well, that's a great call to action for all of us queer folks and allies, of course. But Um, I think that there's a lot of strength to be found from that message. So thank you. We will make sure we get your book in the show notes as well. Okay, so let's move on to this week's Good Vibes. The first story comes from Butter And, which is a cake shop in San Francisco, your your city. 
And the Butter Ann decided to offer stock options to its employees as a way to retain them and align their interests with those of the company. And the tenure of employees is four plus years. And I love this. Mm. So, um, I mean, that's a wonderful gesture that they're making. One of the things I would ask them to think about, too, so I want to do say this as both and, mm -hmm. is not only creating stock options, but also how are you building uh, relationships within the community? And so, so oftentimes people think, and I know you know this, leaders think of their community as the people who they employ between, let's say, the hours of eight and five on a given day. What I would hope that companies continue to think about, too, is how can we build, let's say, in the, in the with the example that you just offered, financial literacy, but also to build a relationship with people in the community so that it goes beyond just those who are working, but they're also making an impact. And certainly creating financial security, wealth is certain that something that's important for the community, but also how can you take that beyond that so that you have more strong, deeper roots and relationships with people in the community. So it's a good start. And I, like you, like to focus on what's good, not just on what's not working. I think that can be, that's what keeps me going is not seeing the glass half empty, but seeing the glass half full. I agree. And you, Joel, you'll 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 learn pretty quickly that all of these stories, every story that I ever share is a both and. <laughs> always. There's always more. Okay, the next story comes from Mattel. There's a new Barbie doll, and this doll has Down syndrome. And Barbie partnered with the National Down Syndrome Society um, on product development. And Ellie Goldstein, who's a model with Down Syndrome, is part of the ad campaign. So Barbie shows up here in Five Things a lot, Joel, because of uh, all of the diversity that Barbie continues to represent. What I love about that example is that it sounds like Bar uh, Mattel or the parent company relied on people from the community to inform them as to what they were doing. And again, this is something that may seem kind of straightforward, but it's not because I've seen situations, I know you have two, where companies have engaged in these very ambitious programs, but they've not consulted anybody from the community where they can speak about their lived experience. And so this is, again, a plus of how to continue, how to get things right and to continue to do this, particularly when you think about things such as marketing, products, recruitment, retention, but also the culture, right? So continue to leverage the expertise uh, in order to create and once again, larger impact than just what your what your workplace culture might be. So that's another, I guess, win, if you will, for Mattel. Absolutely. All right. And the third story this week comes from LinkedIn, which has a new commitments tool that lets users screen prospective employers by what the company stands for. So commitments allows companies to display specific values like work-life balance, DEI, career growth and learning, social impact, environmental sustainability, etc. The companies can specify those values and prospective employees can look for those values. And of course, a company can say that and not mean it. Sure. Hopefully they don't because then there's a little bit of accountability, right? right. Uh, so I do love this. Anything that we can do to create more opportunities for a better fit, a better culture fit, a better, well, culture ad, um, and an opportunity for employees to feel like they belong. It would have helped me early in my career. Long time ago, uh, in a parallel universe, not too far away, I practiced law. And I remember one year clerking for a summer. They loved me. They said I was the best thing since sliced bread but I wasn't out on my resume. The next year I said, okay, let's see how, how great I am. I sent them a resume. I was co-president of the, um, I guess the outlaw. It was the lesbian, gay or LGBTQ plus law student association. 
I got no response. I got a letter in the mail, a rejection letter. They misgendered me and thanked me for my time, but indicated they'd be going in a different direction. So it would be nice to have, you know, that type of tool. And as you said, we can't rely on statements and platitudes. We actually have to see it developed or in action. And I would encourage people to go beyond just that tool, although it's a great tool. Talk to employees, look at the track record, do your research, do your due diligence to make sure that the company is going to be a good fit for you. Yeah, absolutely. And Glassdoor actually allows uh, visibility of people's, I believe, gender and racial background if they choose to disclose on their review. So that's another way to do some vetting of prospective employers. Okay, the next story comes from Taraji P. Henson, the actor, who's amazing. I I adore her. Um, She has a new collaboration with the Kate Spade Foundation, and this really is about providing women-specific mental health care services at historically black colleges and universities, piloted at Alabama State University. Mm. So the program offers women free therapy sessions, rest pods for silence and rest, training in yoga, meditation, and a whole lot more. That is, wellness is the one aspect of leadership that I think is so undervalued. Why do I say that? When I talk to leaders, they'll say, I want to make sure that people understand how to be strategic, how to sell yourself, how to brand. What I say to them is, are you also mindful of how you're teaching people to attend to their well-being? So I love the fact that Taraji P. Henson is removing the taboo, which still exists. And I can speak to this particularly in the Black community around mental health and wellness and helping to make this part of a regular conversation. As someone taught me a long time ago, we make it it's normalized to go to a doctor to talk about physical or physiological ailments. It should be normalized for us to talk about our mental health as well. So kudos for that. And let's continue to make those conversations part of everyday conversation. Exactly. All right. And the last story today comes from USA Today newspaper, which has a section called Reviewed that reviews products. They created what they're calling Accessibility April, and every single product reviewed during April was accessible, and the coverage was written by people with disabilities. So these stories range from accessible grill tools to alarm clocks with deaf people. Mm. All right. Again, uh, another clear win. We'd like to extend that beyond just one singular month. And so I think they'll probably be doing that. Of course, you got to do beta testing. You got to make sure that these things are done well and done with the right level of cultural expertise. And I'd love to see that extended out. So these are the things, going back to your earlier question, when I hear things like this, I do honestly think that more people want to do right than do wrong, quote unquote. And I think it's about, you know, there's a saying that my grandmother used to say, which is, what you glorify, you magnify. So to the extent that you can focus on what's good, then I think it makes it much more likely that we can achieve certain things. It's when we have a very myopic lens that we may think that things are beyond our control or that things are never going to get any better. And so these stories have affirmed for me because I started this work a long time ago, and I'm sure you can relate to this too. A lot of these things were not even thought about at that time. They weren't given the time of day. And so it's nice to see that we've come, we've made some progress you know, Absolutely. in 2023. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, wrapping this up really lovely for me, Joel. That was a, a wonderful way to end. And this week's call to action is, and I don't, I'm not going to do this often, but please consider a donation to your local LGBTQ center or to the, the Rainbow Cafe, which is our uh, place in Southern Illinois. And we'll put those uh, links in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Joel, how can folks find you? 
Sure. Um, and t- tell them, uh, the audience, if you're listening, watching, or participating, you can find me as Joel, Brother Joel, what have you. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. And so uh, Joel Anthony Brown is my handle on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram at Joel A. Brown. I try to stay off of Twitter. Uh, it's just so toxic. Or you can just email me. So you can email me at joel at joeldavisbrown.com or joel at numos, spelled P-N-E-U, maryoscarsam.com. And so I'm a Midwesterner. I'm friendly. I love to talk to people. So don't be shy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope all of you have a wonderful week. And if you don't already subscribe to the Five Things newsletter, you can get it at fivethingsdei.com. Thanks, Joel. Have a great week. Take care. All right. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for listening to Five Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my Five Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for Five Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI. DEI.